You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. saying here because what he was saying was really powerful was really quite a statement coming from Peter he was saying that Jesus is the Christ Christ in Greek means Christos in Hebrew it meant Messiah it meant the one who would come the one who was foretold of by all the prophets the one who would come and save Israel from the sins the one that would come and save the world from their sin this was a powerful statement by Peter Peter was declaring the deity of Jesus Christ. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we can glance over some pretty big statements. Peter admitted to Jesus being the Messiah in front of people who were waiting hundreds of years for the Messiah. In today's message, Pastor Dave is going to be showing us why this was such a big deal to people at the time. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 17 as he begins his message, Jesus is the Christ. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Let me begin this morning by asking you a question. How many of you ever heard of C.S. Lewis's trilemma? C.S. Lewis's trilemma. Lewis's trilemma is an argument intended to prove the divinity of Jesus. It's an argument that has been intended to improve to prove the divinity of Jesus. You'll probably have heard it in various forms when I tell you what it is. It was popularized by C.S. Lewis in a BBC radio talk show and in his writings, particularly in a book called Mere Christianity. It is sometimes summarized as lunatic, liar, or lord. Yeah, I see some heads shaking. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, you've heard of it. Another version is mad, Bad or God? You choose. This argument is not new when Lewis got a hold of it because it came around in various forms in the 19th century. It was actually used by an American preacher by the name of Mark Hopkins in a book titled Lectures on the Evidences of Christianity in 1846 and was based on lectures delivered in 1844. Another one of the early uses of this approach was used by a Scotch preacher by the name of Rabbi John Duncan in 1870. He states in his writings, quote, Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or he himself was deluded or self-deceived, or he was divine. There is no getting out of this trilemma. It's inexorable, unquote. 
Other preachers who have used this approach concluded R.A. Torrey and W.E. Bidenwolf. In a quote from his book, Mere Christianity, Lewis explains this trilemma this way. Quote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus, when they say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God, unquote. That is one thing that we must not say, Lewis continues. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil from hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something else, or worse. You can shut him up a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with a patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. Now, it seems to me, Lewis says, obvious that he was either neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem to you, I have to accept the view that he was and is God, unquote. You can see that Lewis's trilemma is based on that, in the words of his deeds, Jesus is asserting the claim to be God. In the mere Christianity novel or book that Lewis wrote, he refers that the claims that Jesus made are these. He has the authority to forgive sins. He's always existed, and he intends to come back and rule and reign. Lewis argues that these claims logically exclude the possibility that Jesus was merely a great moral teacher because he believes that no owner humanly making such claims could possibly be rationally or morally reliable. Elsewhere, Lewis refers to this arg argument as the ot dus ot malus homo, either God or a bad man, a reference to an earlier version of the argument used by Henry Parry Lydon in his 1866 Bampton Lectures, in which Lydon argued for the divinity of Jesus based on the number of grounds, including the claims he believed Jesus made. The trilemma has continued through the years and has most notably been used in Christian apologetics by none other than Josh McDowell. Peter Kreck describes the dilemma as the most important argument in Christian apologetics. Ronald Reagan... The president used this argument in 1978 in a written reply to a liberal Methodist minister who said that he did not believe Jesus was the Son of God. The Lewis version has been cited by Charles Colson as the basis of his conversion to Christianity. Stephen Davis, who was a supporter of Lewis and of this particular argument, argues that it can show belief in the incarnation as rational. In his writings of the argument, which are almost total absence from discussions about the status of Jesus by professional theologians and biblical scholars, Davis says this, often criticized, this dilemma is, both by people who do and by people who do not believe in the divinity of Jesus. Well, this question is as equally important today as it was back when Lewis had his trilemma. Who was 
or who is Jesus? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he indeed Lord? It's an ageless question. But it's the inescapable question. It's the question that every one of mankind must and will answer. In fact, it's the answer, it's the question that Jesus himself asked in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, verse 13, Jesus, you know the story. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples saying, who do men say that I ain't the son of man am? You know the story. The disciples answered and said, some say you're John the Baptist. Others, Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You know, it appears that the disciples were not sure of who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't satisfied with what someone else thought. He wanted to know what they thought when he asked this question in Matthew 16, 15. Who do you say I am? Jesus wants to get personal. It's a very personal question. Jesus wants to know who do you say he is? That then becomes an inescapable question. The question that must be answered, who is Jesus? You know the story. Peter gets up and says in Matthew 16, you are the Christ, son of the living God. What was Peter saying here? Because what he was saying was really powerful, was really quite a statement coming from Peter. He was saying that Jesus is the Christ. Christ in Greek means Christos. In Hebrew, it meant Messiah. It meant the one who would come, the one who was foretold of by all the prophets, the one who would come and save Israel from the sins, the one that would come and save the world from their sin. This was a powerful statement by Peter. Peter was declaring the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus looks at the group and Peter, and he says, Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 16, verse 17. Jesus is confirming that Peter's answer was correct. He is the Christ. But then he said, don't tell anybody. The reason he didn't want to tell anybody was because he didn't want any premature to acclaim him. He didn't want any premature attempt to come and raise him up as king because the day would come when the Messiah would be declared king. The day would come when Jesus would make his triumphal entry. At that point, he would be declared, but that, his time hadn't come yet. So he was telling them, don't tell anybody. Be quiet. This is a revelation that only God could give to you. Don't tell anybody. The perfect time of God hasn't come yet. Don't tell anybody. But now Christ is crucified. Christ died on that cross. We celebrated it today. Yes, celebrated, I said. And he has risen from the dead, and he sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now's the time to tell people who Jesus really is. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the, the believers who were gathered that day, it empowered them to be witnesses of exactly who Jesus Christ is. The time had come to announce to the world that Jesus is the Christ. This brings us to our story today. It brings us to our scriptures today in Acts 17. The Apostle Paul Silas and Timothy now make their way westward to, from Philippi. They go further into Macedonia than they've ever been before to a place 
called Thessalonica, Macedonia's largest city. Look at verse 1. Now, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. You can already see that Thessalonica was larger than Philippi because they had a synagogue there. Remember, we talked about that. The city itself was about 20,000 people. And having a synagogue meant that there was a large enough Jewish population. Paul went straight to the synagogue in verse 2. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. This was Paul's custom. He went into the synagogue first. Very interesting. He would later write to the Romans in Romans 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and then the Greeks. Paul had a tremendous heart for his brethren. Paul had a tremendous heart for Jews. After all, he himself was a Jew, born to the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Pharisees of the Pharisees. According to the law, blameless. But Paul had this heart, this burden for his brethren that they would come to Christ. And this burden was so heavy on his heart. Listen to what Paul declares in Romans 9, verse 3. Listen to these words very carefully. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness by the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Do you hear Paul's heart there? Do you hear Paul's heart for his fellow people, his countrymen, the Hebrews, the Israelites? What was he willing to do? He was willing to give up his salvation. Paul was willing to give up his salvation that they might come in. Would that I be accursed from Christ? That's what he says. Every one of us sitting in this room, I believe, has family members who don't know Christ. Some of us in this room have prodigals that have strayed from the faith and are breaking our hearts. We all want these family members to come to Christ, those that aren't saved. We all want the prodigals to return home to their faith. We all want that in the hardest way, and we pray for that continually. We want them to come to repentance and accept Christ as Lord and Savior once and for all and make it a done deal. But what are we willing to give up that they might have salvation? What are we willing to lay our lives down for? Are we willing to lay our lives down for them to come to salvation? It's a mighty question, isn't it? It's a big question. Paul said, I'm willing to be a curse so that my brethren would join eternal life. We've seen this sacrificial heart before. We're going to read about it when we get to Exodus 32. In Exodus 32, verse 32, Moses is having another discussion with God, and God's pretty upset at the Israelites. God is not happy with the Israelites, which it seems like most of the 40 years, God was not happy with the Israelites. 
And Moses is bartering again with God. Moses is talking to God, and he says this. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Wow. Moses declaring the same thing. If you can't take them, don't take me. Wow. Do you hear this heart? This is the kind of heart that we have to have for the lost. As this age closes, as this age of grace slowly closes in, and you look around, you read the newspaper, you see what's happening in Israel, you see what's happening in Iran, you see what's happening in Turkey and Syria and all those places, you see what's happening right here in our beloved United States of America. Those of us who have studied scriptures, and some of you have studied a lot more than I have, know that these are all signs that the Lord is not far behind. These are all signs of the end times. We have people who are dying and going to hell right before our eyes. What type of sacrificial heart do we have for them? Is it enough to say, well, I'm saved? No. No. I think one of the reasons that we have that kind of heart because we really don't know how bad hell is. I don't think we really understand the alternative to these people not accepting Jesus Christ. What are you willing to do that they might come in? That's sacrificial love. That's the sacrificial love we celebrated today in communion that Jesus Christ did. Willing to give your life so that someone else could come into the kingdom. So Paul always goes to the synagogue first. What did he do there? He reasoned with those in attendance from the scriptures. See, as a guest... Paul would be recognized as a learned man. They would realize that he's learned. He knows the Bible. And as a guest, the guests are sometimes invited to speak. Paul would get up, he would read from the scriptures, and then again he would turn and he would discuss them with them. The word reason in the Greek is this, dialegoami. I'd rather say where we get our word dialogue. A little easier. It means to say thoroughly. It means to discuss in an argument or exhortation. It means to dispute, and yes, it does mean to preach. But this is just more than speaking to them. It's just more than showing them. Paul did not speak to them. He reasoned with them with the Scriptures. He used the Word of God, something they were very familiar with. Because in the Sabbath day, when they came to the temple, the first thing that was done is the rabbi or whomever would open up the Torah And they would read the Word of God. They would read it, and then they would discuss it. So those in attendance were familiar with God's Word. So Paul took to them what they were familiar with. Paul took to them the Word of God, and he spoke about it. Remember Paul's resume. He studied under the great Gamaliel. Paul knew the Word of God. Paul was a very, very astute student. He was a powerful man. He had great knowledge and understanding. But he communicated to these Jews in a simple, palatable, clear way. He opened their eyes to something that was hidden, even to the prophets. He opened their eyes. He reasoned with them. Sometimes our Christianese confuses people. Sometimes when we stand before somebody and we witness to them, we start jar- shouting, oh, you must be, uh, you know, you got to accept Christ. You got to do that. You gotta, we, say, we say all this Christian jargon, and it confuses them. But if we would just speak clearly, 
and simply. See, the gospel message is a simple message of hope, but it's a powerful message of salvation when you accompany it by the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God. I'm sure many of you have seen Billy Graham. I'm sure many of you heard Greg Laurie and other great evangelists who speak to thousands upon thousands of people at one time. They speak to all these people and then they make an invitation. And many, many, many people come down. Many people come down to accept the Lord. Did you ever listen to them? Did you ever think, oh, they're not really saying anything profound? No, they're not, because it's the gospel message. The gospel is simple. It is truth. It is just. It is right. There are no gimmicks involved. There's no smoke and mirrors. It's a simple message. It's clear, concise. But it's presented with power by the Holy Spirit. That makes all the difference. This is what Paul was doing. Paul was reasoning with them from God's word. What did he say? Well, look at verse 3a. He was explaining and demonstrating that Christ, the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. This is important. Paul was explaining and demonstrating that the, not only did Christ have to suffer, but he also rose from the dead. This presented a problem to the Jews. Many, 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 many of the Jews knew Isaiah 53 spoke of a suffering Messiah. But how do you reconcile Psalm 2? Psalm 2 speaks of a kingly Messiah. So you have a dichotomy here. You have two things happening. How do you reconcile that? The only way to reconcile that is have two Messiahs. Two Messiahs. One that would be the kingly Messiah. His name would be Ben David and after King David. He would be the one, he would be the conquering Messiah. He would defeat Israel from their enemies and he would establish his kingdom on earth. He was the ruling Messiah of Psalm 2. And you would have a suffering Messiah. His name would be Ben Joseph, named after Joseph's sufferings in the book of Genesis. He was the Messiah of, of Isaiah 53. He was the one that was brutally beaten by his brethren. Paul takes these scriptures and through evidence he says, listen, let me tell you some things. Let me tell you some things about the scriptures. Maybe he some, said something about Abraham and Isaac. Maybe he talked about Hosea's testimony. Maybe he went to Psalm 1610. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Paul emphasized the resurrection. John R.W. Scott said this, quote, Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept of the resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed, unquote. Paul reasoned with them day in the scriptures. He opened their eyes to the scriptures explaining how both these prophecies, Psalm 2, Psalm, Isaiah 53, pointed to one person. They all pointed to one man. He says this in verse 3, part B. And saying this, he says, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. You are sure You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AssureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AssureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Assure Hope. Bye.